0: Hey, everybody. All right, we, this episode, we, are, uh, we actually filmed and recorded right in El Zante uh, with our guest, Dorothy. She's from Ontario, but she's been spending some time in El Salvador. She's a Spanish speaker, so she's throughout her, her journey of uh, spending some time here in El Salvador, has talked directly to the locals about what it's like for them to adopt and have to deal with uh, the government imposing Bitcoin on them. Which is a perspective that we really needed to have because, uh, as you, are, if, if you're on Twitter or social media anywhere else, really on the internet, uh, the only message that you're really getting from uh, from El Salvador is that it's, uh, Bitcoin has been an overwhelmingly positive experience. But we, uh, after speaking to Dorothy and other El Salvadorans, we know that this is not quite the truth. So we hope you enjoyed this episode um, and, uh, and take away the, the insights that we've gleaned and have spread them out uh, throughout the internet so that uh, we get more of an accurate narrative of what is actually going on here in El Salvador. Once again, thank you to Dorothy. Make sure to to check the end of the episode that, so that you can grab a hold of her social media information. Uh, she helps sell some real estate here in El Salvador. So if you're looking to pick up a property, uh, she can help you with that. Uh, thanks. Stay tuned. The thoughts and opinions expressed by Keegan
1: Francis, Murgakshi Palwi, and the guests on the GoFull Crypto podcast are solely their own and are not intended as financial advice. The content discussed is for informational purposes only.
2: All right, here we are, everyone, with D or Dorothy, from Ontario. If you remember in episode 86, which was the last episode um, where you had this experience in the ATM where someone wanted to withdraw U.S. dollars with their Bitcoin and they were facing problems with the ATM and in the last episode I said that D had this amazing thing that she said to them. She explained to them that these are the growing pains um, that the country is going to face but in time other countries can learn from these growing pains and do better. So we brought her on our show to talk about the experience that she's had. So Dorothy how long have you been in um, Antigua, not Antigua, we are in El Zante, so El Salvador for.
1: Um, so I've been here approximately two months now. It's going on uh, just just under two months.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I love that you speak Spanish. You're so fluent. When did you learn? Um, my family is actually from
1: Spain. So I learned growing up various things and then just getting out and traveling and taking some um, high school classes. I was able to learn to read and write. And then, yeah, like just traveling, it really helped me. Yeah.
2: yeah. I keep in touch with your Spanish. So yeah. and whereabouts in Ontario are you from?
1: Um, Hamilton. So just on the other side of Buffalo.
2: Right on. Okay, so you've been here two months. What is, I guess, what was the first thing that you bought with Bitcoin when you came here?
1: So the first thing I did with Bitcoin when I came here was I paid rent. Um, I actually found somebody who was uh, willing to negotiate a really fair price with me for rent for three months if I paid up front. So I paid three months up front with of rent and then um the first actual transaction i did with like lightning was at a cafe in el tunco called point break and funny enough since i did that transaction i've sat there so many times including today and i videotape other people doing their first transaction in bitcoin and it's kind of like a funny thing because the um barista there, his name's Frankie. And I told him, I'm like, you're going to be Insta famous because (laughs) I keep like posting all these people doing their first Bitcoin transaction. And everybody's like, when they, when I ask them, do you want a video of this? They're like, yeah, like I want a video of me making my first transaction. And they're, they're all kind of cheesy, right? Like everybody just scans and then they're like, that's it. It's so easy. But like, yeah, Frankie's always smiling in the background because he does this all day long, right? Yeah. But Tunco's not like El Zante where there's only a few places that take it. So it's one of the only places. So they get a lot of people and it's right on the main strip and they have like the Bitcoin sign. So it really attracts a lot of people.
2: Right on. So, so for yeah. our audience, El Tunco and El Zante are sort of two beach towns in El Salvador, 20 minutes from each other, right? Yeah, yep. yeah and um well, i wonder why Atunco wasn't in Bitcoin Beach if there's more transactions there because i also did notice when we came here after the conference that was the 18th of november there were these food stalls there was a food festival i remember and there were lots of people that had bitcoin accepted here then and i my first impression was oh cool this is always the case in El Zante. there's always these stalls here there's always tourists going up and down like i guess the main street um but then after after like a couple of days, the food stalls are gone. The food festival is over. And I think there's only two places that accept Bitcoin at Bitcoin beach after then that I remember.
0: No, if you walk all over the place, like across the river, there's all sorts of places that accept Bitcoin, like all the little stores that you can pick up like a bag of chips and whatnot. at, They all accept Bitcoin too, right?
2: Okay. I I don't think I saw the signs as Mm. much, but anyway. So El Tunco, when did Bitcoin adoption begin there?
1: I personally don't know 100%, but I want us to say that they probably adopted it when it became legal tender in June or July, whenever that was. So technically, everybody has to if they're doing business, but, you know, most of the places in Toonco, it's been my experience that they don't. They're really nervous about it. Unless you have somebody that's like savvy and knows about it. And then they're so eager to accept Bitcoin, right? Because they understand it. And they're like really happy to transact in Bitcoin. But other than that, everybody is still very leery about it. Um, And if they are accepting it, very few places. And it's only because their bosses uh, are complying with this new rules that they put in. So for instance, yesterday, I came back from another town and I used it at Wendy's. Okay. But like... (laughs) Um, I, I've been told from some of the people that live here that if you use it at the gas stations and if you use it at Burger King, you get a thirty percent discount. Right. So, in some of the conversations that I've had with locals, that that's been sort of my thing with them. Is like, listen, if you are used to getting paid, let's say three hundred dollars a month, and you can afford to take hundred dollars in Bitcoin, and you can take the other two hundred dollars in in cash put the $100 that you would put in your transportation budget and your food budget if you go there, because it'll go 30% further. So, and then telling them that, like, whoa, you know, like, that's crazy. And I'm like, yeah, so rather than take it out in dollars and then just give it to the gas station at the same price, keep that amount, you know, you're going to spend on gas in Bitcoin. And I've been kind of like telling them little things like that.
2: Have they responded with, um, or how have they responded rather with the volatility of Bitcoin? Because... Bitcoin's down today when we're recording today is what, the des- the 3rd of December. Mm-hmm. um And Bitcoin is going to continue to be volatile. It's, it's just the nature of it in the stage that it is at. And how have people reacted to seeing what they got paid for, the value of that in U.S. dollars go down mm-hmm. the very next day? So that is
1: definitely a real concern. And you hear that over and over again from the locals. And what I have tried to explain to them, and this may be too advanced for A lot of people, not just the locals here, but just in general, if you're having this conversation with somebody back in Canada or US, you don't know if they would understand these concepts that that is happening all day long, every day with our currency too. Right. right? And especially with inflation. So yeah, like they are just not used to seeing it. Um, in black and white every day and they're not used to getting like a notification like hey it's down two percent today and you know if we're in the bitcoin space for long enough we're comfortable with that at this point point. <laughs> yeah. and you know so that is definitely a real concern you hear that over and over from people here.
2: And are they just overcoming it by waiting long enough or do you have you seen anyone be put off by this? I've definitely seen people be put off by that in the sense
1: that they think that it goes down, but it doesn't necessarily come back up. And I think it'll have, it'll take a while, but I do think I don't really care for Chivo for a lot of reasons, which, you know, you covered in your last last podcast and I concur with a lot of things about Chivo. But um, one thing that I do think that is good is the, the, the fact that they did give them the $30 If somebody were to keep that, even if they spend half of it, they can see on a daily basis it fluctuating and they'll get more comfortable with that fluctuation. And of course, when it goes up, then they're going to be really stoked, right? So they will overcome that in time, but it's really no different than if they transacted in another currency, like in Guatemala, they use Quetzals and, you know, then they would see on a daily basis that their money is valued against the US dollar, right? And so it fluctuates. Or, in Mexico, with the peso, then they understand that, but because they transact in u s dollar, they don't see that you know on daily. Even Canadians, we have a little bit more of a unique opportunity to appreciate that because every time you go somewhere and you tr- convert your money into euros or dollars, you're facing that, right? so
0: do you think that's uh, illusory like the it's being hidden from us in some respect the the volatility in each of our respective countries' currencies, whereas with Bitcoin like there is no illusion like you're you're definitely faced with the volatility it's up there right in front of your face whereas like the like when I'm yeah when I'm talking to other people they're like well it's so volatile and then how you brought up how it's um
2: every currency every, faces volatility exactly
0: but it's like just kind of behind this curtain and then Bitcoin kind of pulls that curtain back have you had experiences with people talking talking to people here that Like that you actually see the curtain get pulled back right before their eyes and they're like, oh, that that clicks for them or.
1: Yeah, there's a number of things like that. It seems to kind of click Um, when I explain that to them that, you know, yesterday that thing cost you a dollar, but tomorrow could be a dollar twenty five. And you don't have any control over that. You just know that it used to cost you a dollar. Now, you know, it costs a dollar twenty five. When I say things like that, it kind of clicks you can see that it sort of clicks to them because they can remember a time where, yes, something did cost 25 cents and now it's 50 cents or, you know, and and that's kind of unique to Salvador because you can still buy like four candies for 25 cents, you know, (laughs) and in Canada, I was thinking about it yesterday, like one candy starts at 25 cents, right? Like four four candies, you've got a dollar into it. Here, you can still get like four little candies for, you know, uh, 25 cents. I actually
2: don't remember the last time I bought something for 25 cents in Canada. Yeah. Uh, Well, actually, the the last thing I remember using 25 cents for was those carts or trolleys uh, that you get at the airport. Uh Um, I remember at Toronto airport, you had these machines and you had to insert 25 cents. I'm not sure if that's increased because I haven't been in Toronto in a very long time, but that was like a decade ago that that was what I remember paying uh, 25 cents but okay so to play uh i, I want
0: to add one in sure because it's fun okay. uh that what what can i we wanted remember? to play
2: devil's advocate but you go ahead okay
0: you can play devil's advocate in a second but remember uh like the parking meters like how much an hour used oh, to get yeah, you you're like
2: right. like yeah. just
0: the whole damn day and now 25 cents gets you like whatever like two and a half minutes or something i'm exaggerating of course to
2: you're ex- <laughs> to <have laughs> yeah. fun, never mind i do remember putting 10 cents into those halifax parking meters to get yeah. like 15 minutes you or could you could put minutes. pennies in there Used to. Yeah, we don't have pennies anymore. We don't even have okay, pennies so anymore. So to play devil's advocate okay, on the yeah, earlier continue. point, and also to restate, I am a Bitcoiner. I do love Bitcoin and I do see the volatility as a part of its life cycle to be to attaining a stable status later. But with respect to our Canadian dollar, you won't see it go up and down 10% in a day. And if someone was to come up and say that, okay, you know, you're talking about how Bitcoin is volatile and you're talking about how the Canadian dollar is also volatile, but there's a smokescreen of sorts that kind of you know doesn't communicate that volatility to us it's still not 10 Mm percent right but that's a that's a government illusion right because it it is
1: 10 percent if not more but the government shelters you from from seeing that right so they keep the market from doing those big dips but that's happening all the time like you know it's so it is a kind of a false sense and there's a lot of false senses that we've grown up with so for instance one of the things that people have a really hard time wrapping their head around with bitcoin here and South is like where do I keep this right so when I say you got to keep it in a hardware wallet and I try and explain that to them like like uh, like they kind of get nervous about it and we have been hardwired to give that responsibility to a bank as well at yeah. a high cost right yep. and so we've been like conditioned so there's a number of things that we've been just programmed to accept and one of them is volatility um, just like masked, right? So the government keeps it from fluctuating like that because we can't have uh, our economy do those kinds of dips. But right. that's happening, like you know, ten percent. Though I'm sure, like if we were if we were being actually truthful about how, where our money stands, depending on what's happening, I'm sure that's happening. But they're just cushioning the blow so that you yeah. know our economy doesn't have those huge swings. Then if you look at other economies, like for instance, Venezuela, they couldn't keep that under wraps
2: anymore, right? So, Turkey as
0: well, last week or yeah, two weeks exactly. ago. So.
2: I mean, yeah. There's a number of those things. Yeah. I uh, like they said hardwired to uh, feeling like our money is safe in the bank. Where who was it that we were talking to? Oh yeah, um, our team at, at, in Antigua. He was telling us about the stock market. He was saying that yeah, the stock market faced a lot of volatility on Monday. Uh, there was. Oh yeah. <laughs> there was a stock. at
0: the S and P five hundred. It was S- okay. up one and a half percent, but within the first two hours, and then it closed. Negative one and a half percent.
2: No, Keegan, I think it was like it closed at 1.2 percent or something. Something,
0: it was ridiculous. It was like, we're talking about like so just minuscule percentage when he, points. When he
2: said that it opened at one and a half percent, we, we were expecting that okay, and then it closed at minus five percent or something, or minus 10 percent, because he said it was really volatile. And then he ended by saying and it closed at negative one and a half percent, or like just a half percent lower. We were like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's volatile. That's uh-huh.
0: and he. <laughs> 18-second duration in Bitcoin. But I wonder, like,
2: do you think that's also... A, there's also... A, well, actually, there probably definitely is a smokescreen that keeps everybody from seeing the volatility in stock markets because there's so much manipulation in it. Mm-hmm. Um, are you familiar with spot stocks, by the way?
1: Yeah, a little bit. Like, I, I'm not... um I'm not a big fan, but I'm familiar. Same. Yeah, yeah. So why aren't you a big fan? Well, just because I don't think that it's it's. I think that it's a complete manipulation, and I think that they're not necessarily backed by things, and I think there's so much um, manipulation that can ha- that can happen by companies, and as well as like where you buy your stocks, right? Like what we saw with GameStop, and we saw with Robinhood, and all that right. stuff. So I'm just not a fan of giving that kind of relinquishing that sort of control.
2: I'm smiling because I love that you said they're not necessarily backed by anything Mm -hmm. because that's exactly what we hear for Bitcoin. But Bitcoin is backed by the Mm -hmm. belief of the people and people using it. But it, Yeah. So interesting. So I want to actually, I want to know more about the person that accepted your rent in Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Were you the first person they accepted Bitcoin from? I don't think so. I think that this guy is pretty comfortable transacting in Bitcoin.
1: But he did have a significant issue with this Chivo wallet, and we actually had a we had a discussion about this today. So there's a number of things. Like I don't want to continue to dog Chibo all the time because, in a lot of ways, I think it's a positive thing for Salvador. Like the fact that their government did do something proactive and give them a means to do it. It's not any kind of surprise that it's not perfect, and it's also not a surprise that the government introduced it and it's not perfect, right? Right. So. Anytime that you give government something to do, you can expect mediocre at best results, right? So one of the, or two things I say would be really telling is I went to the Bitcoin conference and there was the Bitcoin, adopting Bitcoin, which was on one side at the Sheridan. And then if you cross the street, there was a whole other Bitcoin, LA Bitcoin conference happening. Okay.
0: LA stands for Latin America in this context. Perfect. Because I was totally misunderstanding that it's Los Angeles. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah.
1: So, so there was booths there from, you know, apps uh, to tokens to all kinds of concepts from all over the world. All right. Noticeably absent was Chivo. So here you have the number one, you know, the biggest conference happening. This is the tool that they've been given and Chivo is nowhere to be found. Like almost like they are embarrassed of this. And so I feel like on one hand they should be as a nation who maybe doesn't is on the pioneer forefronts of this they took so much money to develop this software it's not perfect but then you see like honduras trying to get started and roll this out and to me it's very much like okay so why isn't the government uh, leveraging chivo and selling it to another country and it's very suspect that they can't do that. So I look at it and I go, Yeah, who's gonna buy this when it doesn't necessarily work? Um, but they they really should be ironing out these kinks and helping um it to advance further. And so it is a little bit disappointing. And then, like I said, they they have this massive conference and Chivo is noticeably absent, like nowhere, not even in the parking lot, right?
2: So And no that's boards sort of sad. or advertisements or sponsorships nothing, or anything either. Nothing.
1: It's so weird. Yeah. And the adopting Bitcoin one is really weird, because yeah. that was that was a huge part of adopting Bitcoin was yeah. giving them a, a, a an app that they could use that was you know distinct to Salvador, and then, like again, they're nowhere near the conference well, right
2: uh, with 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 respect to the people that attended these two conferences do you did you see a lot of Salvadorans who wanted to learn about Bitcoin come to it? No. Okay. Maybe on the one day in the LA Bitcoin
1: conference, the the first day that I was there, it was a free ticket and it was the Spanish day. I would say that I saw a lot of people walking around there that were Salvadorians and I met them and we had great conversations, but they were already in the Bitcoin space. Like how many people just like saw this in the paper or like read about it on Twitter and was like, I gotta go there. I don't know about that. You know.
2: I think that's a really small number because even at the adopting Bitcoin conference, they did uh, have um, I, th- I would say a majority of the talks in English, but they also had translators translate each and every talk. And I'm not sure if it was being aired live or what, but um, because of the translation was happening in real time, I think that there might have been like your um, ear- earphones or yeah,
0: that's how conferences do it when yeah, there's yeah. translations. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, where people could listen to it in Spanish. But I remember looking around and every single talk that I attended seeing familiar faces um, from people that I follow on Twitter or people that I've seen speak in English and I know have not have come from away or not from El Salvador.
0: Yeah, maybe 10 percent are are people from here.
2: Yeah, yeah. And the 10 percent that did attend also were slightly familiar. So I would say that there was a very, very small number of people that came to learn about Bitcoin. And at the same time, I don't think that anything was done to advertise adopting bitcoin and the i'm not sure about the la bitcoin con because i didn't even know it was happening but i'm not sure if anything was done to advertise these conferences even taking place to the salvadorans in el salvador
1: you'd think that if chivo had been involved it would have been as simple as you have a notification la bitcoin (laughs) conference is coming (laughs) on and you have a free ticket and flash your chivo wallet and you get a you know, blah, blah, blah. Stop by our booth and get an extra $2 in your Chivo wallet or something. You know what I mean? That's a
0: great idea. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you think that that would have been the case, but yeah. again, like, sort of sad that that's not the case. It's almost like they're embarrassed of it. Like, they don't want to talk about it anymore. And
0: it's so sort of sad. The first thing that we saw after stepping off the plane was actually a Chivo ATM. <laughs> and then there was yeah. a, a pay with Bitcoin at the customs office Uh, But yeah, now that you're just like revivifying this experience of being at the Bitcoin conference and a complete and total lack of the Chivo wallet, it does seem really strange considering how simple it would have been to push a notification, to push two bucks, to push a free ticket, uh, to market it. I don't know if you've got an ATM everywhere, like why not put a sign on them or something digital that says, hey, by the way.
2: Even with the Chiva Wallet, though, I remember we were looking at how to withdraw. What, what would we even do? Because would we want to withdraw US dollars with our bank? It was
0: either deposit or withdraw. I forget what, what we wanted to do. Yeah, I but think we I... we wanted to withdraw US dollars because... the number. Because we, we didn't have Wi-Fi at the point in time.
2: That's true. But
0: yeah, we had to KYC ourselves. I
2: actually remember thinking to myself that, okay, this is one of, uh, one of the things that doesn't get talked about very much is if you don't have a phone that's working... When you land in a country where Bitcoin is legal tender, and let's just assume that we're five years down this path and Bitcoin is used everywhere, it would at least with my phone plan, it would cost me fifteen dollars to have data on my phone for one day. And you know if Wi-Fi isn't available everywhere and until I get a phone number until I'm in Wi-Fi, I can't pay with Bitcoin unless it's an offline transaction, which
0: I'm which not, are possible apparently
2: which are possible, but uh, so
1: i i this is way more advanced and techy than I have the capacity to understand at this point. But I did meet somebody at the Adopting Bitcoin conference who had a little QR code reader, and it was in lieu of Wi-Fi. And what he was saying was, this technology is coming out of um, Los Angeles. That's where they were from. And he was telling me how he's used it in the past. And he said, like, I used to use it as an Uber driver because Mm. you would go drop people off sometimes and they don't have Wi-Fi. So this little thing basically... I don't know, like it just keeps a record of everything, but it somehow can like, so I, I, the way that I receive this is like, let's say that you have like an old school charge card for your visa, right? And you go somewhere and you charge it and then you go to another store, you charge it again until the end of the day when they reconcile all those amounts. They're not right. going to know that you overspent. But somehow with this QR code reader, it doesn't do that. It reconciles in real time. So it wouldn't allow you to make transactions and pay with Bitcoin without being able to actually have the funds. So this QR code thing is very new technology. Like I said, I don't have the capacity to wrap my head around it just yet. But they've thought about that and they're at the Adopting Bitcoin conference and they're saying, hey, this we know that this is going to be an issue where people don't have Wi-Fi. Right. They can still use this technology. They can still accept payments. And, do you remember the name of the company? Uh, I don't, but I can send it to you because I got his business card. And if you remember, do you remember the guy that was doing laser eyes at the uh, conference? Which one? Yeah. Uh, I think his name is Kurt. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. And that was what his company did. That's what they did. Oh. Was, um, that was... Yeah, they Okay. Yeah. I have a picture
0: so,
2: of his card on my phone. If it's that guy, then yeah, I know who it is. It's definitely
1: him. Yeah. Okay. So, and he was the one that told me, like, you know, how he had practically used this with um, Uber and how, you know, that was this technology was going to circumvent those issues.
0: Nifty.
2: Right? Cool. Yeah. So, um, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, I know that Machanti is going to accept Bitcoin very soon. I was talking to one of their social media managers last night and. Oh, for those listening, Hotel Michante is the, the place that we're staying at. In highly Azante. recommended. Yes. Oh my gosh. This place is free awesome. Great is
0: free breakfast, awesome pool.
2: Really good breakfast too. Like it's yeah. like a healthy breakfast. The they rooms didn't pay are for clean. this advertisement.
0: We just, <laughs> we just love it. We, we
2: really do love them because they've gone above and beyond to make our trip. Roberto like carried my
0: luggage in. Really. It was great. Nice. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was great. Okay. So coming back to you, Hotel Me accepting Bitcoin. Um, yeah, a lot of people from the Adopting Bitcoin conference came here and they were like, "You can we pay you in Bitcoin? And the people were like, oh, we're just not set up yet. So they got a ton of people talking to them about, hey, you should accept Bitcoin. So they're finally going to do it. Um, anyway, though, I was talking to the, this person and she, I, she was telling me, or I, I guess I asked her the question, so how do you feel about El Salvador adopting Bitcoin? Because um, I, I have one thing that I've been really curious to know is how are the locals feeling about this um, this change in their currency? And she's from here. She was, And then she was telling me that, yeah, th- it's great for tourism and everything. Um, and she, she is from um, like a marketing background. So she does understand the importance of... Um, like showcasing what your country is great for and bringing people to here. Dorothy, you were saying something about this too, where you said that even if the country spent like $20 million advertising El Salvador, it would not attract as much attention as it has because the country made Bitcoin legal tender. And then I asked her more about, you know, what she thinks is the future for uh, for this and what she thinks about the president, Naibu Bukele. And she's like, well, when he got elected, everybody thought that he was going to be different and he said he was going to be different, but it's same old, same old politics. He's still corrupt and it's fine that he's doing this for Bitcoin, but um, I feel like this is all just for show. But, and there's going to be no follow through with what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, trying to talk to her more about what her feeling is around all this, she, she just continued saying that, um, I would much rather see there being investment in education and healthcare because that is lacking. And I feel like he's focusing too much on Bitcoin and too much on the marketing side of like the, of tourism and the. The focus is great. She was not saying that that's bad, but she was saying it's not uh, well balanced with what she believes the country also needs, which is good education everywhere and healthcare for everyone. Mm-hmm. So ha- w- have you heard this from anybody yep. else? So
1: I've heard this and um, I have a very unique perspective on this being from Canada, where we have basically state run schools everywhere you go, as opposed to the states where it's pretty common to go to a private school and there's an abundance of them. Canada is very rare. And what I've come to realize is that they're just little indoctrination centers for the government. So is it a good thing or a bad thing? People should get educated to a certain extent, but should the government have the control over that? You be the judge, right? So when people say like the government should be facilitating education, I'm mm. like, yeah, to a certain extent, I agree with that. But where do we draw the line and say the government needs to take their fingers out of it, right? And then uh, same thing with the healthcare what we're seeing in canada now is that if you're not vaccinated they're going to deny you certain aspects of your healthcare
0: even though you pay taxes for them
1: exactly right even though you've paid into the building of the infrastructure of that even though you believed your whole life in you know uh, healthcare for everybody and that sort of thing so again where do you draw the line and say the government has too much control And, you know, and then so the the other thing that I am quick to tell Salvadorians is I do say that about, you know, your government could have taken a hundred million dollars, spread it out throughout all corners of the world and not had the impact that adopting Bitcoin had. Now all eyes are on El Salvador and everybody's looking to this country to see what they're doing with it. So that's one thing I tell them. So and the second thing I tell them is when the American dollar fails, that fiat currency fails, which it will. Um, if you only have one currency, your economy fails too, whether you like it or not. And so at least this gives you a second option. You may not be ready for it. You may not want it. Just recognize how you will be able to pivot in a direction you never would have had access to had this not happened for you.
0: And they're already familiar with the failing that. up a currency, right? In 2001, I think it was, is that, what was their old... Uh, cologne. Yeah, their old currency, the Cologne. Cologne. Yeah, uh, that that failed and they had to pivot to the US dollar. And what was that transition like? I think I'm not H- sure, Jose actually. was told, telling us it was oh. it was a month-long process, right? So one month you right. could use the Cologne, then they had a buffer period of one month, and then after that it was US dollar and no Cologne. And now they've got this two-tiered system. But yeah, we totally agree. At some point in time, we can't exactly say when, but the US dollar will fail. It's just on that trajectory now.
2: Why do you have that conviction?
0: Yeah.
1: Um. Well, I mean, I know the history of money. And so I know that fiat currencies last anywhere from, you know, usually about 100 years. And we're sitting at plus minus about, I think, 100 years right now. Yep. You can see the value of the dollar and what it buys versus what it used to buy. We know that the oldest currency in circulation is the British pound and it's lost like I think 98 or 99% of its of its buying ability right now so yeah it's only a matter of time right and the the U.S. dollar is really not backed by anything once they remove the gold standard and they're just printing money printing money printing money it's only a matter
2: of time before it fails well I guess it's backed by the belief of the people in the government and as that faith or trust in the government starts to fail so will the the control of the U.S. dollar. <laughs> I don't know if I told you guys the
1: story about um, the Canadian dollars and how nobody wants them here. And I wasn't aware of this until. No. Did I tell you that <laughs> you, you told me. Told you yeah, dig yeah. in. I, so, I want to hear this. So this is another reason why I have that conviction is I met a Canadian here who was traveling and he didn't have any more American money, but he had Canadian money. So he gets stuck in the city and he says, um, you know, I need to pay for this transaction. It's $40 American can I give you 60 Canadian? And they were like, no,
0: that'd be a good deal. But
1: exactly. So he says, okay, $60 is usually like, you know, that's valid, but if you won't take it, will you take 80? And they were like, no. So then he's like, will you take a hundred? And they were like, okay, hold on. We'll make a call. So they called somebody who works in currency and was like, this guy's trying to pay $40 with a hundred Canadian. Should we take it? And they were like, no. And he was like, nobody wants our money. It's worth zero.
0: That means it's worth zero.
1: That's what I'm saying. So it's like, we don't know this when we're transacting in Canada, but leave the country and try and exchange it with somebody. And they're making calls and they're saying, no, I don't want it.
0: I try to make that point all the time. Actually, I've, I've, I've spoken about this point. Numerous times on the podcast. Yeah, well, just the one where like if you go to a different country, the first thing that you do is you trade your money for their right. money. Because if you try to use your money, it's worth zero. Mm-hmm. It's only worth something within the borders of the country. And the only exception is the U.S. dollar. And in the future, the exception will also be Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So, we need a borderless money. And right now we've got this like weird facade that the u s. dollars this borderless money. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think that
2: even free acceptance of money is something that's going to help um just help build a more lubricated fabric of of transaction of value and tr- the, the the of trade. Um, who were we talking to? I think, Oh, man, we've talked to so many people, but we asked someone, of the, oh, yes, it was Skull, an Icelandic restaurant oh, in yeah, Antigua. Right. Yep. Uh, we ate there and we, you know, started a conversation with the guy that was behind the, the bar, found out that he was from El Salvador, asked him about what he thought, and then asked him if he was going to accept Bitcoin as payment in the restaurant itself. He's like, Ah oh, yeah, I'll accept it. I can accept whatever else except Doge. <laughs> <laughs> um uh, he's like i don't want that and then we were like yeah you you will not find us dead with doge on us so yeah don't worry about that you you said you said it weird differently but that, that was the yeah. phrase used point being that i wouldn't um, be
0: caught dead with dogecoin that's is what you what said. I said yeah there yeah. you go
2: and then i think that the, the point is that he you know he said yes to accepting bitcoin but he said he'd also accept anything else with some exceptions of course but the ability to believe that something other than what your country says is money that's novel that is yeah yeah like you said that that is novel and again bring that to the point where you said you know once the u.s dollars face fail once the u.s dollar fails and it will you already have optionality to accept payment in bitcoin things will already be set up and yes there are growing pains right now with the transition from not only still accepting bitcoin but transition of people to a Um, transition of the education and people understanding how to accept it. Um, But once that happens, people will just have more optionality not only to Bitcoin, and I do consider Bitcoin to be money, I don't really consider any other cryptocurrency to be money, but if they want to accept if a shopkeeper says that, hey, if you're going to pay me in Hey, what other cryptocurrency shall we Ripple. name here? <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, uh,
0: actually, <laughs> I think it's called XRP. XRP, yeah. Yeah, it's we not Ripple, that's that. the company. Yeah,
2: we, are oh, oh, no, no. no. So I'm, just, I'm putting YouTube. my like
0: facetious voice on because yeah. we had an r- episode on Ripple and then like we had a, t- we had, I think that's the episode that has the most comments on it and the it, most and number dislikes. And the Ripple dislikes. army got at us and they were like, you called it Ripple the whole time, uh, it's actually XRP. XRP, yeah.
2: yeah. We don't know what we're talking about. Yeah. 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 Well,
0: Funny, okay. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. I derailed this. Go ahead.
2: No, no, no. But well, yeah, like the optionality of money is really, really fantastic. Um. And but OK, so covering that, I think that we still do not understand or I, I did not really comprehend how early we are. Until we talked to some people in Antigua and we met all of these people outside of the Bitcoin conference. Because, yeah, oh my just, gosh, at the Bitcoin conference, we were just in a larger Bitcoin bubble and everybody <laughs> just inundated with us, with yeah. people that are already in the space, right? Exactly. So, and yeah. you, you have the same old conversations. There's lots of, you know, not very new thoughts, like a very small majority of, or very small minority of thoughts that we didn't uh, hear or we don't hear. But when we went to Antigua, we stayed in a hostel. We met a couple of other friends. We went to talk we, went, we talked about them. And to be honest, I was slightly tired of talking about Bitcoin. Sure. So it wasn't the first thing that I brought up as soon as we met these people. But um, we were talking to this one guy at a bar um, who's a friend of a friend, now our friend. And we were asking him what the real estate was like in Antigua if someone wanted to buy a house there. And from there, we got to talking to, okay, what's the interest rate that you get at your bank? And he didn't know.
1: It's because they don't get interest rates at the bank. It's very unusual for them to get a mortgage. Here in Salvador and in Guatemala, the norm is you have the cash, you buy. As cash is king.
2: That's true. And mm-hmm. he was thinking that too. He's like, oh, I don't know what, what is it. He said, what is interest rate? And, you know, we got through that. And then he's like, nope, I don't. I just keep adding money to my account. And then we, were, we, we talked to him about, okay, cool. If you want to buy a house, when will that be? And he's like, oh, probably 10 years, 10, 15 years from now. And he was around in his early 30s. Um, And then we talked about okay, cool. Like, what kind of investments do you have? Simply because we wanted to know what other people do with their money. And then for the next five minutes, we were having a conversation, we were trying to like communicate in investments to him because he's like what's that we
0: just had to we actually had to define it we had to tell him what an investment was and what it meant for something to go up in value over time
2: even if we translated it to spanish and we're like in inversiones yeah i think that's the word for investment yeah Yeah, and he's like what's that how does that work um yeah and then we spent the next like five to ten minutes just talking about what invest what investments are and he's like why would i do that um and at that point like i was starting to get a little mind blown by not like by the fact that this isn't talked about. This is this, this is this guy that works his ass off by the way. He works at this ramen restaurant, uh, is an amazing chef. Um, but we got to this later in the conversation. He's like, none of my friends talk about money. None of my friends talk about this. I hear about it, but it's kind of taboo to bring up the topic of money. It's not how much do you make? Right. Like, that's not what we were asking him or talking about. But the taboo part was, okay, no one is going to talk about where their investments are or if they have made any investments or what to do with money once you earn it, which is why I think that he was a little bit mind blown too, because we were like, you put your, the money that you've earned, you put it in something else that will grow over time faster, uh, way faster, actually, than just having cash. Um, and in, in five years or 10 years, when you want to use it for something, you can use it. Um, it'll just have doubled or tripled based on what you invested in, and then you'll, you'll have your money work for you because you're putting it towards something else. And just that, just having that conversation made me realize that wow, we're we're not only are we early to Bitcoin, but something that we're is, early to financial we're, literacy. We're yeah. early to people talking about money freely. Yep. So one experience that I had this past week, I
1: went to this town or this place here in um, El Salvador called Punta Mango, and it's fantastic. It's such a beautiful beach place, Um, great surf, like the waves are fantastic there. And um, I met a guy who works in the sugar um, canes, and he was talking to me about it, and that was his thing. He said, well, you know, if you have money to invest and you don't have to touch it, then I could see Bitcoin working for you. But how many Salvadorians can really put money away and not touch it? The people of Salvador work for every penny that they have, and then they need to use it. And so this is where I said to him, consider where you can get discounts right now. With, with Bitcoin. He says, yeah, but those places aren't going to always offer those discounts. I said, you're right. They're not. But For right now, take advantage of them. And if you know that you can do away with the $20 a month, just start there and just shell it away. It'll get you at least investing. And so, but that, one of the things that had come up in the Bitcoin conference, and I've heard over and over again, is this idea that somehow Salvadorian's are not going to be able to grasp the concept of Bitcoin because their education lacks and their technology isn't advanced like ours. And what I like to say is how many Canadians and Americans with all the technology and all the education we have at our disposal have really tapped into financial literacy, one, and second of all, cryptocurrency as a means to grow your wealth. How many Canadians or Americans that you would have a conversation with, eyes don't glaze over when you stop, talk about generational wealth and what that looks like. And if you were to have a conversation with one of your friends that wasn't in necessarily a financial space, you don't know them from that avenue. And you say, Hey, what'd your parents teach you about money? What's your investment style? Where are you headed with your, you know, how many of them would be able to even give you any kind of like strategy or taught, have a, like a, an intelligent conversation with you that you would be like, wow, this person's on point. They seem to know what they're talking about. So it's not a Salvadorian thing. You know, it's, that's a universal thing. It is somewhat taboo to talk about money in all spaces, really, unless you're in financial space. Right.
0: I bet it's like two to 5% worldwide to answer your question. Like how many of my friends, like probably 5% of them would be comfortable like and opening a conversation.
2: Yeah. And I think that because it's not something that is brought up very much when you're growing up, you have instances where someone's a young adult and they have to, you know, do whatever work that they do as, as for their career, as their profession, and they don't have the time or the energy to spend uh, to learn about what they can do with the money that they earn. And then you have financial advisors that do that for you or third party people, third parties that Take your money from you take a cut of whatever you make and then do that for you and I'm supposed to
0: be doing a good job as well uh, that's true <laughs> but
2: that aside i think that um the lack of education on money growing up has created a job market for people to advance in that space and then act as a third party uh to make more money off of your money and i think that because that is the norm now People are comfortable with, you know, not learning about money because somebody else will do it for them. Just recently, we were talking to someone and um, and we've had this um, said to us multiple times too, where people contact us and they say, oh, can you, can, can I give you my money and you do what you do? Mm -hmm. And we're like, no, that's not how (laughs) this works. We will not take your money.
1: Again, kind of hardwired to give that responsibility to somebody else, right? And it's like, it's time we clawed that back. And we say, what's the cost of giving this to somebody else and who should know about my money and who should know about, you know, like what I desire and what I truly want out of my money. Like, shouldn't that be me? And maybe that financial advisor doesn't have the same goal that you have, right? you're just giving your money to them and hoping for the best in a lot of instances, right?
0: So you just said, clawed that back. And I want you, because that implies that we once had it. So I want you to elaborate on that note, that point right there.
1: Well, I I think that instead of having your gut reaction to be like, okay, I have 500 bucks here. So I'm going to call up Desjardins bank or, you know, whichever bank you, you deal with and say like, hi, I want to buy an RSP or whatever you decide is your avenue of investment. You need to claw that back and you need to think about it and say like, okay, well, what, what is truly what I desire to do? And where do I want to be 30 years from now or 10 years from now? How do I think I'm going to get there? And then Think about that for yourself. And if the avenue is that you go with a registered savings plan and you hire a company to facilitate that for you, you know how to do that if they somehow fail, you know, on your behalf and you understand what the implications are and you understand what the fees are and are you locked in and you know, all of that people just don't have, they, they just, it's worked into the fees. It's like hand over the money and we're going to take care of everything for you. And it's like, okay, I'll sign. Where do you want me to sign?
0: Yeah, kind of what I was getting at was uh, like with the whole clawing it back thing was like we actually came from like 100, 150 years ago, a time when our parents used to do all of their saving and thinking I guess well, And put be money parents.
2: under the bed Because yeah. I still hear people say that, that Oh, like, you know, my parents We were talking to someone from here Who he was trying to explain the concept of Bitcoin to them And they were like, no, no We're still going to put our savings underneath the mattress And that's like actual cash that you save underneath the mattress mm-hmm. And when, when like paper money was still backed by gold That would still that meant have their purchasing power That right. would still retain its purchasing power But not anymore So that same practice of saving money under the bed doesn't work because you're just letting it lose purchasing power over time.
0: Yes, we still have some untangling of uh, where we actually are as a globe with respect to what our money actually represents to uh, before we can like we have have a path to walk down, right? We can't just like come out and say Bitcoin is like the new and improved money of the world. Like we still need some explaining to do with like what's wrong with the money that we have now.
2: No, but I think that there's many habits, too, that we need to, uh, like, talk about as we yeah. move forward. So That's what I'm saying. hedge funds, for example, right? I'm not, I think they handle millions of billions. hundreds of millions of billions of dollars of money, and they make more money for other people. And the people that have or possess that amount of wealth... They're not going to have the time to, you know, do what the hedge fund managers do, which by the way, is a very stressful job. We're going to drop an episode uh, in December. Uh, We interviewed someone who had has experience being in the hedge fund market. Anyway, that's for later. But coming back to this, um, what we seek, what we have, which is self-sovereignty with money. Mm -hmm. I don't think that the importance of that is necessarily understood also because we're facing deflationary effects in the technology that we use every single day. Let's talk about food for a second, right? Like, when i was growing up um or my parents when they were growing up someone had to make the food in order for people to eat but now we have chef's plate or we have skip the dishes or whatever else which is making it possible for people to not even have to worry about food if unless they go to a restaurant and eat um but even if you talk about like the deflationary effects of so many other technologies like sending emails to people or um, talking to someone, our smartphones, for example, have, uh, taken market share from so many other companies that offered accessories like an alarm clock or a computer. Sometimes you don't even need that. If all you're going to do is browse and, um, like a, a video camera, a camcorder, you don't need that anymore because the phones have really fantastic cameras now. So while we're being less and less dependent on, um, or we're finding we're finding dependence on technology to make our lives easier. Uh, at the same time, like it's, it's just a weird dichotomy of uh, how our money is something that is being left behind because it is working against the forces of deflationary technology because it is still inflationary. And that's just something that I, I don't think is understood by a lot of people. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I don't think that that's unique to Salvador in any respect. I think, like I said, when you have these conversations with anybody, whether you're in the Western world or whether you're down here or, you know, if you're in Europe, if they're not interested in this, they're just not interested in this. And, you know, that's.
2: You bring up a really good point because I remember talking to someone who um, is close friends and I won't name who they are, but I, I had just graduated and I like, you know, hadn't spoken to a lot of people who had jobs. So I asked them their salary and it was a couple and uh, like the. Counterparty responded, you know, how, how dare you We're, ask
0: that? Yeah, wow, that's a really yeah. personal question. How, yeah. how dare yeah. you ask how you much you're that. making? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. And I wasn't asking out of like wanting to compare how much somebody else makes or judge. I just wanted to, out of curiosity, know how much people make. What's a person when in your position <laughs> actually
0: make these <laughs> yeah. days? I'm very yeah. curious. <laughs>
2: um, and I, I really wonder when all of that is going to go away. Yeah.
1: I, I don't know. I mean... I think one of the things that I have said over and over to people, and I truly believe this, is Bitcoin is a fantastic equalizer. Okay? It doesn't care if you're rich or you're poor, if you're educated, if you're uneducated, where you come from. You know, you can get into the Bitcoin space. You can make, you you know, you can teach yourself. You can start using it. You can start growing your your wallet. You can have all the benefits that have been necessarily uh, stripped away by government and like all of the things that they do to control you, you can relinquish you, you can take that control back and you yep. can have that back for yourself with Bitcoin. So it's a great equalizer in that sense. It's not just for the elites anymore. It's not just for some people to have generational wealth. It's not just for the ones that were really educated and went to the Montessori schools. Like it's for everybody, you know, if you want it to be.
0: One of the cool things about Bitcoin is that you don't actually even have to use it to reap the benefits of it. It's like even if Something like 20% of the population, 10% of the population starts using it and you don't use it or have it. Like it's actually still helping correct, course correct our financial trajectory, our monetary trajectory, just by rewiring the financial fabric of the society that you live in. So even if you're a. Li- quote-unquote late adopter which like by the way you're not a late adopter until we're in the year 2060 all right like <laughs> yeah we're still all yeah, early adopters yeah. here I,
1: I think it's funny like a lot of the bitcoin shirts that they had at the conference were really funny but one of the guys that i was with he's from canada too and he was laughing so hard at you can buy a fraction of bitcoin like because yeah. he says like that is the number one thing everybody says it's like i gotta a buy fact. a whole bitcoin right it's like i thought that was funny you okay know?
0: quick tangent here i watched The the new episode of South Park today. And uh, it took place. (laughs) It was South
1: Park? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> you gotta watch
0: it. It takes place in the year twenty sixty one in the future, right? And they've got all these jokes about the future. But one joke was that uh Stan walks into a hotel and he pays with Bitcoin. Okay. And the hotel's guy's like, It's the future, you know? So everyone just uses Bitcoin now because it's the future, and that's obviously the only currency that's gonna be around in the year twenty sixty one. I was like, Yes. Yes, So <laughs> Park's Park gets on it. it. They're on it. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway. Was it
2: South Park that predicted things that happened in the?
0: No, that's The Simpsons. Oh, yeah, The Simpsons uh, like predict all sorts of weird things, like Trump and whatnot. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. I've seen different things where they like have all the things they've predicted over the years. It's Pretty bananas, crazy. Actually, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah so exactly. Eerie. Bananas is a good word for it. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up to you guys uh, that I haven't shared with you before was when I was in Punta Mango, which is about three hours, three and a half hours from El Zonte. Um, Tunco area. And it's in La Union, I think is the the area of El Salvador. They have a place there called Agua Fria that is trying to mirror what Zante did. So they are in the very Mm. early stages of getting a couple stores here and they are on board with it. And they built this beautiful soccer um, like stadium for the kids with like turf and everything. And so one of the things I did was I went there and I checked it out. I took some pictures of it. I mean, fantastic soccer field and such a great thing for the community. It's like a staple place now. Everybody, when you ask them about it, do you know where Agua Fria is? And there's like one store taking, well, there's two stores taking Bitcoin at this point. And the one guy, his name is uh, Carmelo. It's Carmelo Market. And when you say like, do you know where Carmelo Market is? Oh yeah, sure. And then when you say like, do you know where the new stadium is? Well, I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. It's like a huge attraction and they're so excited about it. And I just can't wait to see what happens for those people. Like what has happened for the people of Alzante. It's literally been life changing for the people, the kids that were here in Bitcoin Beach when it came. And I, like I said, they're mirroring the success. They're trying to have that. It's so great to see it. But, or, and there is a big part of that community there that is like, doesn't want it. Keep it quiet because of look at all the tourism. Look at what's flooding into Zante. We want things to be quiet here, and I understand that because when people ask me like, "Where are you?" I'm always like, "Salvador," and they're like, "How is it?" I'm like, "You'd hate it. Don't (laughs) come," you know. So I get it in a sense, right? Like you want the best for these people. You want to see them be able to lift themselves out of poverty, and Bitcoin is like a great way for them to be able to do this. But at the same time, you understand that once once that comes. So do the masses. And when you can see like a country like Salvador and then you see a country, like, for instance, like Costa Rica, and you're sort of seeing like the, what it used to look like 30 years ago before people really moved in and stuff, I understand how they want to protect that so much, right? So it's kind of a justice position, like it's a sort of, or maybe a catch-22 is a better yeah. way, you know? Like how do you allow this to be what, it's, what it could be while still keeping all of the pieces, private and that tight-knit community and, you know. I have a, th- th- I have a thought
0: on that. It, it might be that, um, well, there's demand for this Bitcoin adoption uh, anywhere, I suppose, in El Salvador. You can probably find someone that wants to accept it, but doesn't know how or have the information to do so. And I think the more El Salvadorans that help each other... Uh, adopt it uh like the less influence from the outside that comes in um like just like some person from europe united states canada they come in hey i've got all the tools i can speak spanish i know how to help you set this up like the more of these uh these kids let's say from el zante that then like hey look we're from el zante we knew how to set this up and like now we're going to help you set this up it just kind of makes the like the culture or the the business or the people uh, it's, it's familiar for them. Maybe it's uh, it's less intrusive from the outside as well. They can maintain all of the aspects of the culture that they came from without having to uh, like absorb anything from elsewhere. I don't know. What, what do you think?
2: Well, do, did they did half of the community do that to attract more people to the town? I
1: don't think so. I think I think there may be some of that, and I think there are some people that are hoping that their business will grow as a result of this. But I think really what they're seeing is just like the opportunities that it gave for the youth there. And one of the things about Bitcoin Beach that has come out is that these people, when they adopted it, they really didn't have any other options but go to the states and then send money back to Salvador, Right. right? And so because their parents left the states, that left them prey to, you know, join gangs. And, you know, they were kind of orphaned. And then Bitcoin gave them um, like a future that they didn't have before. And so I think that's what they're seeing. That, that That's what I think that they want in Punta Mango. And I, I think that that's kind of evident by the fact that they built a soccer stadium, because that is one thing that they can like captivate the youth and bring them in. And True. they're so excited about this. So it's like a tangible thing that they can see like. The field that Bitcoin built kind of thing, you know what <laughs> I mean, yes. so I think it, they're they're trying to replicate the success for other motives if everybody gets uh elevated and tourism comes and stuff like that, might be a byproduct, but really it's give them the opportunity and give them a future that they didn't have access to before
2: yeah i I kind of i I like that there is um a difference in opinion in in that community and the the fact that it is known because. There's no other way for growth and there's no other way for a change to be adopted and accepted such that everybody in the surrounding area like, likes it. Um, and hopefully as time passes by, they do see the benefits of it and their disagreements with what it is doing to their community, um, I guess, dissipates or disappears with time. Um, but yeah, that that is a really good point. Uh, and something that um, was brought up in an episode that we did with Katarina, she's her friend, we did an episode with her. She uh, toured around Central America. She's in Guatemala America. right now. She's in Guatemala right now. And she learned Spanish here. And something that she brought up is something that we need to understand is, like, do you, the locals want this to, um, like, one, is this something that it really changed their lives? Is this something that I'm still... <laughs> I'm going to take a quick second here. Riga, what, what did I we just do? <laughs> what are you laughing <laughs> I got super distracted. You brought sorry, us wine. Sorry. And we're
0: drinking during the podcast.
2: no. <laughs> Um, yes, uh, and there was this beautiful pour taking place in front of me, so I got really distracted. You
0: gotta check it on YouTube, by the uh, way, if you want to see that pour take place in real time. <laughs> I've uh, never
2: been on a podcast before,
1: so I was like, oh, maybe I just need a little liquid courage <laughs> to like, help me out, you know? So yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, well, Like and you've,
2: been <laughs> Thank you've been fantastic. You've been. I Thank love I I love your philosophy around Bitcoin and the and what you've been telling locals mm-hmm. in in Spanish itself. I was fascinated by it the first time that we met. Um, and I'm really glad that we got to share your thoughts with our audience. You being one of them, by the way. Thank you for reaching out to me. Yeah, <laughs> I
1: I loved uh, I lo- I have loved your podcast so much. I've gleaned so much from you guys over the last two years or so that I've been listening. Maybe a year and a half. I found your podcast. I was so elated when I found out that you were Canadian because a lot of the topics that you covered were. Directly related to the Canadian market, and I was tired of listening to American podcasts all the time talking about certain apps and certain things that we don't have access to in Canada. And there was roadblocks everywhere. Felt like I was trying to watch MTV, right? Like (laughs) this isn't available in your area. I'm like, damn it, right? So I was so happy when I found you guys. And then um, I listened to your episode that you were coming to El Salvador for the Bitcoin conference after the conference. (laughs) But what was funny was when I went to the LA Bitcoin conference I met a Canadian company that was there and I told them about your podcast I'm like oh do you guys listen to go full crypto and they're like no what is it and I shared that and then lo and behold you're at the conference I was like wow this is just so you know crazy and so great and I'm so fortunate and and grateful that I had the opportunity to come to Salvador and then this conference happened while I was here yeah that's just been a a fantastic you know bonus to being down here
2: yeah yeah for sure um what was what was the point that I was trying to raise so by the way thank you for telling people about our podcast um but now I'm jumping back and forth it was simply the fact that uh, communities and locals in countries that are not America or Canada they don't necessarily want the things that we think they want right sometimes it seems like foreigners go to a remote town and they um, they they see people live in a certain state and they feel like oh wow this You know, how can you live like this or survive like this? Let me bring something to your community that I think is going to uh, raise your community. When people in that community are perfectly fine living the way they are, they're happy, they are surviving uh, on a day-to-day basis and... You know that
0: was kind of the point that I was trying to make. Like whereas like if I come in as a foreigner, I try to introduce you to Bitcoin, it kinda of seems like I know what's best for you. But if you've got like this youth from El Zante coming to you, they're gonna know just they're gonna have a better idea, let's say, of exactly how or why Bitcoin is going to help correct or um bolster or enlighten uh, your your way of life because like I really don't know. I have no idea how to make your life better. Like, who am I to know? I'm from Nova Scotia, Canada, right? But like, if you've got someone from El Zante come in and spread the word from a someone from El Salvador, and they're like, look, I know that you're having this problem, this problem, because these are exact same problems that I had three hours north of you. Mm-hmm. Look, those like that's such that seems like such a better situation than um, all of this outside influence coming in and trying to, and trying to trying to help. That she kind of just seems like the last four hundred years of of colonialism sure. re- repeated in a different way.
1: Well, I'll say two things to that just really quickly. So one, this kind of struck me when I was in Guatemala a few years ago. I remember. Um in Guatemala they have these things called widow makers in the bathrooms they have heated water cuz it's not as hot as um in Salvador so I don't know if you saw this but like they don't have hot water except for in the bathrooms then they have like electronic thing that comes and is wrapped around the um the shower head okay and so I was meeting somebody and then she was from Canada and she was dating somebody from Guatemala and she said oh we're staying in an Airbnb um just to get away and stuff and and I said um just you know, like, does your boyfriend have hot water at his house or something? And she's like, no, they don't have it. And I said, like, she she said, I bought them a few things since I've been here to help them out. And I said, did you buy them a water heater? And she's like, no, I bought them food and groceries. Like it was a foreign concept to me because here I am thinking from my terms, like, well... The, you would want hot water in your house. But like when you don't have it and you've just been getting by, what's more important, right? right. Like your food, groceries or having hot water. So that's one thing. And then I will, I, I'll kind of like tell a story really quick and it's gone around the internet. And so it's this Mexican guy who is a um, fisherman And he meets an American and the uh, American says, oh, you have such a beautiful life. Tell me about, you know, I see you go out on your fishing boat every day. And he's like, yeah, you know, I get up and I take my fishing boat out and then I come home and, you know, I see my wife, Maria, we make love. And then I go out in the evening and, you know, with my friends and we enjoy our lives and this and that. The American's like, well, you know, you should work more hours so that you could buy yourself a fleet of boats and then this and this and this and this. And he goes okay. And then what will I do with my days? And he's like, well, then you can go out for a couple hours and come home, make love to your wife in the afternoon. It's like, he already had that life. You know what I mean? But our mind just goes to what we're used to, like expansion. Exactly. And what Westerners, you know, think is the path to success. And that goes back to what you're saying. Like, we don't know what they need in order to get by day to day. We're living in different times, different world than them. Right. So yes, somebody coming in from a local standpoint and saying, I know the growing pains. I know the like real pains of accepting this and transacting in it. This is how I kind of got around that, or this is what helped me. That's going to be way more useful than somebody coming in and just being like, you know, well, do this and do this and do this. And also they're not going to understand the buildup to it if you just give them the end result. Right.
2: Yeah. So Uh, Just adding a little bit to that, there would be a difference between someone going in and and changing somebody else's community in that way versus when there is an invention of sorts. So I heard rumors about how the bill for accepting Bitcoin in Salvador was passed um, about like... I won't actually go into that cause I would be paraphrasing. Um, but at the same time, just going back to the very, very famous quote said by Henry Ford, where he's like, if I asked people what they wanted, they would ask me for a faster horse. Um, uh, but he built a car and no one can, even then, back then, you know, people didn't think that the car was going to become mainstream. Now we can't walk to go to blocks without having a car, especially in places like America and Canada, uh, the, the United States and Canada where things are so far away from one another. And, um, I think that it's key to understand the difference between when you're doing something for a community that they don't realize is going to benefit them in the future, Bitcoin being the example here, versus when you are doing something for a community that they really don't need, but you're doing it for them because you do that in your hometown and you think that is going to help them prosper and further and progress in their lives.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think th- I just uh, kind of knit these two conversations together. I think there's a difference between like telling someone that they need a water heater and telling them that there's like this new form of money that doesn't degrade in value over time. Yeah, um, Yeah. like one is like, OK, yeah, you've lived with cold water in your shower the whole time. And like the other <laughs> is like this is actively leading to your financial and economic destruction, but you don't know it. Yeah, um, which is yeah, there's there's definitely the difference there, but I could for yeah. sure, I appreciate the the point that you made for sure.
2: Yeah. Okay, so to wrap up this uh this episode, I actually want to talk about uh Canada and the uh-huh. ter-
0: <laughs> Because <laughs> <What's that like? laughs> so Keegan,
2: you you wrote about this in um your recent newsletter. Which one? What was it called? Uh Tell what was what inherent- about. <laughs> <laughs> It was about Canada. Uh, going no you said that in your last podcast actually i don't remember where you said it but it was it was, it was the last episode where canada was becoming a totalitarian state
0: oh yeah I did. Say and that.
2: someone asked uh okay how how is it becoming a totalitarian state give me some examples i said authoritarian we, oh yeah, but sorry totalitarian authoritarian not the same thing authoritarian and we had some similar conversations about how we are forced to do things that a majority of us don't really understand is there's no end to it right like where you draw the line as we were talking earlier what is sort of your experience been
1: um but maybe more narrow like what do you mean by that like
2: uh well with respect to should should we be thinking ahead and you inspired this this in me actually i have to tell you um like should we be thinking ahead and look look to immigrating to a different country because mm. we won't have the freedom to choose our money or we won't have the freedom to live our lives or to choose the way our that medical lifestyle to. for example yeah, exactly um
0: and i'll actually preface by kind of giving you an example like giving you the more direct example of what i said and why i said it and okay. and that like what came after that um yeah, I like I, I I think it was yeah in the last podcast I said that we're kind of trending towards a more authoritarian state. Um, and then I had someone reach out to me and ask me like, okay, what do you mean? Can you give me a list of the things that like Canada's doing? That's a little bit more authoritarian. I said, okay, well, like the first example is just like the medical lockdown and the, like the medical procedures that's being imposed on people. And I suppose it's not forced, but then we've got like these other things that we say that we can't do, regardless of whether or not it's good or bad or like a label of positive, negative, like it's authoritarian. That, that was more so the point that I was making. Like our first think that we need to agree on the like, what we label it, and like when the government is using their authority to enforce a rule, that's authoritarianism in my mind. And like, then we can have the conversation about whether or not you think we should have lockdowns or shouldn't, or whether you think it's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, but we first need to agree on what it is before we can continue the conversation. So that was the even was with the good or
2: bad though. I, I just feel like we've we've we have to pick sides now. We have to either say this is good or we have to s- disagree and say this is bad. And we've lost the, the grace that lies in the nuance of any situation or being happy with what is happening or like, um, learning where you can agree to disagree instead of just outright being hateful of a decision that isn't in your favor. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, I mean, I have a lot of, um, like thoughts about where Canada is headed and what I saw before I left Canada. And I have a lot of disappointment in in Canada and Canadians. I was raised my entire life to think that Canadians were a certain way that we valued um, people's ability to think for themselves in a lot of realms, including autonomy over your body and make those health decisions for you. And a lot of the things that I see in Canada have nothing to do with health. They have a lot to do with coercion and power. And what I'm seeing from Canadians is that they are willing to accept these things as long as it's under the disguise of, well, it's for the greater good and it's for our health. And they're just willing to like not question that and just go along with that narrative. Um, so I'm very disappointed in Canadians for that. But more than that, you know, this whole thing about carrying around a, a passport and certain privileges for certain people as instead of certain other people. Um, Again, regardless of why they're why they're saying that that's valid, whether you agree with it or you don't, I guess the question kind of comes back around: is should they be allowed to do this, regardless of what the reasons are? You know, is it for your if if, even if it was true that health vaccinated people were healthier, and so these measures were justified by a vaccine, um, do we want to do we want to segregate the population based on? health status and being healthy versus not healthy. I mean, we don't do that in any other situation. So for example, like if you're obese and you decide that you are not going to get any kind of treatment for that, we don't, we don't, we don't just like, you know, we don't exclude you from society and say you're a bigger strain on our healthcare and you're unhealthy. And so therefore we, you know, and you don't follow the rules about healthy living. We don't do that about other aspects. and so. You know, I, I don't know if that answers your question, but the way that I see Canada going, it's like it in a lot of ways, I feel like Canadians have offloaded the responsibility of thinking for themselves back to the government again.
0: That's like one of the worst things any population can do because like once you offload the responsibility onto the current government, it's a different government that will inherit that same responsibility. And that different government later might be a government that you don't agree with. Right. So once you've offloaded or given that or set that precedent of having the government dictate the particular decision for any particular event, uh, well, it's really only a matter of time before a government gets in that that is like, you just take the United States, for example. You guys go Democrat, then you guys go Republican. And then, <laughs> like, as soon as you rene- uh, renege on the responsibility of one thing, it's like, it's only a matter of time. It's like four years, eight years max before. The the opposite governments in place and is going to use the same thing that that uh, that you agreed with to against you now and that's it's just that's real dangerous. I just don't really I don't love that.
2: That I, that kind of reminds me of antibiotics.
0: <laughs> What's that? <laughs> oh,
2: just what you said about um reneging on previous responsibilities. It's a little bit of a weird analogy, but I know that when I was growing up in India, and um, you would have these medicines that would cure you naturally, so using Ayurveda, versus antibiotics where an example I was given uh, was mostly, okay, you have this one drug one year that they say is effective for curing something, but then two years later, it's a different drug, which is new and improved, and then the question becomes, oh, are you saying that the drug that you gave me two, like a year and a half ago, two years ago, was was not sufficient that solving whatever problem that it is solving. And of course this it's different for different diseases, but you have, um, you have Ayurveda where the cure is the same and has been the same for thousands of years and it doesn't change and it is still effective at curing the thing. So I'm not sure exactly how this analogy relates, <laughs> but I was thinking, what I was thinking is that, um, with, uh, with, with opposite views and parties. Um, a democratic and republic or political parties. It just feels like um, the the person that it is in power, it's kind of like the new and improved drug where the previous thing that the party was doing is now deprecated or not useful anymore. When I think that the whole point of having any party in place or power is making sure that the people are prospering. And I feel like that gets brushed aside or that when, once you have so much control and so much power, when something gets so politicized, you're forgetting what you're working for, the, which is the prosperity of the people as a whole. And there's this difference between the people of the country and the political parties. They just kind of operate on two different levels.
0: Yeah, they shouldn't, but they, they oftentimes do.
2: Yeah, I find that, yeah, that oneness is, is missing. <sighs> All right, folks, what do we say? Should we jump in the pool or something? Yeah. Or
0: something. Or something. Watch the (laughs) sunset, and if it's still there, yeah, if it's
1: still there, you know.
2: (laughs) No, I I think we got carried away with this conversation. Had way too much fun. Thank you so much for coming on, Dorothy. My pleasure. I'm so happy that you guys asked me,
1: and what I said to you um, when we met in Tunko You said like, "Oh, I've, I've like, you know, been able to talk to you and learn so much from what you're saying." And I'm like, that makes my heart so happy. (laughs) I've learned so much from you guys, and so to hear that you learned something from me is like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that i was able to give you something when you
2: guys have given me so and much. give everyone
0: out something as well so, yeah. yes
2: of course i think of there's some, some
0: good gems in here yes, in this podcast. there
2: definitely are um all right well i actually uh, we'll put it in the show notes but if anyone listening wanted to get in touch with dorothy to ask her about the real estate scene mm-hmm. in, in el salvador can you actually give a quick blurb on why um well i was a realtor in
1: ontario and i still am a realtor licensed in ontario and i work out of brokerage in mississauga so if anybody is interested in the real estate connection here in salvador and making a purchase be it crypto or with american dollars and they want to know the ins and outs of purchasing here or they want to you know just discover what are some of the opportunities i can certainly help them to get in touch with good people as well as maybe facilitate a transaction if they so desire to and they're doing it from ontario Um, that would be something that I would be able to do uh, with them. So yeah, if they want to get in touch with me, um, let me think here, what would be the best means of doing that? Like I said, I still belong to a brokerage in Ontario. My website is um, DorothySells.ca or DorothySells.com. So D-O-R-O-T-H-Y, yeah, S-E-L-L-Sells.com. S-E-L-L-S? s-e-l-l-s sorry yeah dot c-a-r
2: dot com yeah Yeah. we'll put that in the show notes for anybody who wants to get in touch with you directly okay everyone thank you for listening um dorothy thank you for coming on and stay tuned